is ChaosCast, the Chaos Community Podcast, where we share use cases and experiences with measuring open source community health, elevating conversations about metrics, analytics, and software from the Community Health Analytics Open Source Software, or short Chaos Project, to wherever you like to listen. Welcome to this episode. This podcast is sponsored by our friends at Sustain, a community of open source enthusiasts and professionals that care about the future of open source. Learn more at sustainoss.org. Hello and welcome to ChaosCast, the Chaos Community Podcast. On this panel today, we have wonderful Georg Link. Hi, everyone. Good to be back. I'm one of the co-founders of the Chaos Project, and I really enjoy doing these podcasts with you all. And Sophia Vargas. Hello. I'm also happy to be back and meeting a new person and learning about a new tool. I'm a program manager at Google, supporting our research and analysis projects around open source and our open source programs office. And I'm also a member of the Chaos community and excited to talk about metrics today. Wonderful. And myself, my name is Vania. I'm from sociallyconstructed.online. Been here a while for the Chaos Cast. And I am particularly excited about this one because we have very special guests for my friends over at Common Room. So hi, everyone. My name is Hadan Zhang, and I'm the Director of Product Management at Common Room. So Common Room is what we call an intelligent community growth platform. So I'm sure you're probably wondering, what does that mean? (laughs) So what that means is Common Room helps companies get a complete view of their communities. So thinking about just this modern SaaS revolution, you have users engaging with companies in so many different community channels. And honestly, on a daily basis, it feels like there are more and more channels every single day, which is an exciting thing. And so what Common Room does, and this is the piece that I would say I focus the most on, is we apply an intelligence layer on top of this aggregated view of all of your different community channels. So we help you get this unified profile of your users across different communities community sources. So imagine having Georg having a profile within Slack as well as on Twitter or on Discord, have Discord discourse, having a unified profile across all of these different sources, as well as all of your different activities across these different sources, having a complete timeline of that. And then we also help you understand as a community leader, what matters the most to your users. So we apply artificial intelligence, natural language processing to help companies detect what are the topics within the conversations taking place within your community so that you can understand what matters most. And then we also help you report on the overall health of your community. So I know this podcast is in particular focused on metrics. We love metrics at Common Room as well. So lots of focus on membership metrics, activity metrics, community responsive metrics. So things like essentially the question of how self-sustaining your community is, as well as sentiment over time, all in service of tracking the health of your community. And then in addition to this intelligence layer, we also give you tools to take action. So we allow you to tailor your user outreach through workflows, as well as bulk messaging in order to really allow you to be able to reach out to your users in a way that reflects their personalized needs. And then also we allow you to spur action from the right internal teams through what we call team alerts. So let's say someone asks a product question in your community, we allow you to route that to the right support team. So that's a little bit about Common Room. That is just absolutely music to my ears. I love it. 
I always have to ask when someone says the magic worth in our space, which is health and measuring health, because it can mean so many different things to different people. In the context of your product and your users, can you talk a little bit about what health and community health means to these individuals? So health, I rattled through as quickly as I could a bunch of metrics and it would be good to go back and actually dive into each of them a little bit. So one of the metrics we talked about was membership, this idea of who is part of the community. And so I think that's fundamentally, it's self-explanatory, but then there's also the time component of over time, what does membership look like overall within my community? What is the depth of engagement? So when someone engages with you, are they engaging with you across multiple channels, which signals that they could be perhaps a little bit more invested in terms of their membership? Are they perhaps helping others answer questions, which signals, of course, once again, stronger depth of engagement as well as a depth of understanding. So when we think about membership, there's membership, there's active membership. So how recently has someone been active as well as the depth of membership? So how when we say active, there's just have I posted or not, but there's also have I posted? 10 times in the past week or not? And does that signify active membership? Have I responded to questions in the past month? And what does that mean? And so essentially different layers of membership. And then of course, activity. So across lots of my different community sources, we see companies take different approaches here where we see companies integrate with a ton of different sources, mainly because their customers are wanting to engage in all all of those different sources. And so from that respect, tracking activity across those different sources, but then also on a source by source basis, being able to monitor essentially the health as far as the frequency of activity by members. Is this a source perhaps that as as a company we want to either continue to invest in or perhaps invest more in or perhaps less? And so I guess when we think about community health, that's membership, that's activity, tracking it over time and helping inform like investments by the organization. And then I talked about two other metrics, such as the first one being community responsiveness. I think this is especially applicable to open source communities where you have folks who often, especially for these open source projects that companies have essentially taken them on and they become somewhat monetized. And so in those cases, you have folks who work for the company. So it is literally their job to respond to questions and support folks in the context of community. But then there's the other side of the spectrum, folks who were perhaps engaged in the project from an early stage. And those are the individuals who are somewhat altruistic and to some extent when it comes to their motivations. How do we keep them motivated? And to some extent, We talk at Common Room a lot about uplifting and scaling the community leader or DevRel leader. And when it comes to community responsiveness, I should say this was a long way of describing, hey, rather than maybe people whose official job title is to support all of these people with questions in the community, how about fostering kind of a level of engagement, a level of responsiveness for people who it is not in their official job title. They are just passionate enough about the project. How do we help uplift those people more and give them the right incentives and the right kind of structure in our community to support them? And then finally, sentiment. So it's funny. Sentiment has been something that we've seen very quite a bit by source. So if you can imagine, nobody is reaching out to you on Stack Overflow because they are super happy about your product. But in all seriousness, you see sentiment kind of be a good barometer. What is the health within your community as far as how people are engaging with each other? Are people happy? It's like if people are perhaps spending a lot of their time complaining about issues, how can we take the opportunity as community leaders to 
perhaps craft the conversation a little bit and see both constructive as well as super positive conversation. So hopefully that makes sense in terms of how we think about metrics at Common Room. Absolutely wonderful. And you mentioned the concept of sentiment, which is definitely my absolute jam. And you also mentioned that you're running a lot of automation and AI. So I would love to get into that conversation. But before we do, what is your role at Common Room? Yeah. And if I can add to that question, where have you come from and what have the what were the steps that led you to where you are today and how is that informing how you're doing what you're doing today? Great question. So I guess starting with Benia's question of what my role at Common Room is. So here at Common Room, I focus a good amount on, well, we're a startup, so everybody wears a lot of hats, but my primary area of focus is kind of on that intelligence layer within Common Room. So I don't know if folks here are familiar with impact points. So this idea of giving you this unified view across all of your different platforms and applying this intelligence layer of what we call impact points to show you, hey, like who are the most impactful people within your community so that you can continue to nurture those people. That's one pillar of the product that I work on. I also work on what we call, I guess, more of the natural language component of our product. So within Common Room, we recognize that it's not just people having conversations. It's about what they're saying in the conversations, how they're feeling in the conversations. And we want to give community leaders the tools to be able to surface those types of insights. And so we have both what we call categories as well as topics in Common Room, which happy to share additional details about that. But essentially the goal here is applying AI to surface insights on conversations. I focus on that as well. And then finally, Finally, the health and metrics piece, which I know I talked about earlier, so I won't go into too much detail, but focused on those areas. Oh, and then going to Gayhorg's question, how did I get my start in community? So it's funny, there's a really long version of this, but I'm going to try to keep it brief for the sake of time. So since the earliest days of my career, I've actually been working on helping companies to better understand who their customers are, what matters to their customers in order for companies to then be able to take the right actions to better serve customers. So I remember my very first job out of college was doing marketing strategy consulting for Fortune 500 companies. And so that's a fancy way of saying helping companies better understand who their customer segments are, who their target segments are, and figuring out what is the messaging and the offerings that will best work for these segments. So lots of data analytics. And then most recently, prior to Common Room, I worked for many years in the customer experience management space, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with the space. Awesome. I see some nodding. So I worked at a company called Medallia. And so for maybe some of the listeners who aren't as familiar with customer experience management, it's all about giving companies the tools to measure their customers' experience. So using metrics such as NPS, Net Promoter Score, or CSAT, Customer Satisfaction, and ultimately help companies understand what matters most to customers so that the company can take the right action. So lots of parallels there, as you can imagine. And what I've seen over time is there has been a good amount of parallel with the community growth space when it comes to metrics and actionable intelligence. But what was a little different was the companies we worked with were primarily in the B2C space. So if you can imagine when you're in B2C, like you can't really build as intimate of a relationship with your customers. And so what I really love about community management is this intimate aspect of deeply understanding your customers. And so how did I get excited about community? 
So during my time at Medallia, worked in a variety of roles across professional services, solutions, architecture, as well as product management. And I would say one of the recurring themes across these different roles was the discovery, the validation and the adoption and ultimately the purchase of different technologies. And so when I was in professional services, I wrote a good amount of custom code. And I should preface this with saying that I did not come from a technical background. I studied economics and psychology in college. So I was not great at writing custom code. I would spend many hours scouring Stack Overflow and other online communities for coding tips. And frankly, like a huge beneficiary of these online communities. And then when I- like you're working just like any other developer. <laughs> Thank you, Gare. Makes me feel much better. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. As a non-coding member, I go to Stack Overflow and I'm like, wait, what again? So the fact that you made progress in that solid smart cookie. Thank you. High five, virtual high five. <laughs> And then moving to when I was in product management, I was lucky enough, as many product managers are, to work with a bunch of products that integrated with a lot of technology partners. So I spent a lot of my time evaluating different types of software and looking through different product forums and often asking a bunch of silly questions through Slack. And so across all of my different roles, I found myself to be a big beneficiary of these user communities and came to really appreciate their value. And so when Common Room approached me a while back, this was in 2020, I got really excited about the vision as well as this just general movement to help companies harness the power of these user communities as a growth engine. I felt I could meaningfully contribute given my background as someone in SaaS and someone who's gotten so much value out of communities, as well as my background when it came to surfacing actionable insights through automated metrics, tracking, artificial intelligence, and natural language processing. So I found this to be, in particular, a really exciting space. And thinking about the community manager persona and the DevRel personas, to reference Adam Grant's like givers and takers analogy, it's like, these people are just givers. As a product person, these are just the perfect kinds of people that you want to build for. And so that got me also really excited here. And so anyway, that's how I ended up working with so many awesome community and DevRel leaders in the space, building this product together with in many ways, evolving the category together. Well, that was an incredible overview. And I feel like you answered a few of our potential questions without us having to post them. And so thank you for spelling all of that out, as well as for being particularly articulate with acronyms, as we all are very subject to. As someone who works in tech for a long time, there are way too many acronyms that are not really accessible to people outside of the space. Anyway, now what I want to talk about, I have sort of a meta question for you. And I always ask this to any individual who works with some kind of data aggregation platform. Clearly, there's many of them out there. But there, as some fellow analysts, I'm always curious about the accidental learnings that can happen when you look at aggregate behavior in a tool. You have this incredible tool set up for your user base to understand their communities. But I'm always curious, what's the learnings that you might not have expected from how your customers are using this tool? Are you seeing any behaviors that surprised you or you weren't expecting to see from the application of the software? Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, so many learnings in general. 
I'll just give you a quick overview. So at Common Room, we primarily serve folks in three verticals. So the developer OSS vertical is big for us. The PLG SaaS vertical is big for us. And then also the Web3 vertical is big for us. We see some obviously differences in the types of community channels used. So for example, developer OSS cares more about technical sources like GitHub and Stack Overflow. Community folks from PLG SaaS companies care a lot about Slack, Discourse. And then Web3 cares a lot about Twitter and Discord. And I would say one big learning in particular for me, to quote one of our customers, is the community, for better or for worse, they're often the first to cast the stone. And I think coming into this role and this space, I thought community, they're the people who support you and uplift you. And that is all true. But also in many ways, they're often the canary in the coal mine, where when you do something wrong, they're going to be the people who are most deeply passionate. And speaking of Venia sentiment, they're going to be the people with the sharpest sentiment when you do something either right or wrong. And so what we've learned from A lot of our customers is we're all in technology. Things are always changing. And that's really the beauty of being in tech. And sometimes the changes could be for the better or for the worse. So we've seen customers have outages in the past year for better or for worse. And one thing we've been surprised by is, of course, we've had outages where the sentiment is super negative to follow as to be expected, and then recovers really quickly because they had an amazing recovery. And then we've also had times where perhaps the sentiment was negative and stayed negative and essentially all reflective of how quickly community leaders respond. And that's in part why we invested in more of the real-time aspect because we know how quickly things can change. And so one thing we want to enable is the ability to respond quickly because your community is often that canary in the coal mine to cast the first stone if you mess up or root for you and lift you back up if you mess up, but then you make a great recovery. I love what you said about that. The first to cast the stone, because oftentimes the more irate people in your community who feel comfortable actually speaking, they had a really great time right up until whatever happened. And in a lot of cases, a lot of their anger comes from a sense of betrayal because they did have so much love for you or so much love for the product. And I was working with a client just very recently who I implemented something and they consider it like their favorite metrics now, but we call it the kudos and the uh uh-ohs. And it's just literally a qualitative port of comments and phrases based upon platform. And they're measured using a common room setup where it just says the five biggest kudos of the week and then the five biggest uh uh-ohs of the week. And it's really fun watching us benchmark those uh uh-ohs. And then several weeks later, we're like, all right, where is it going to land? So I got this really helpful piece of feedback from them where it's just like, no, yeah, this thing has kind of become somewhat of an internal team game now. And it's got so many people involved in community progress. That's so awesome. I love that you said there too, when it comes to the team collaboration, where we see community teams of all sizes and shapes. And sometimes the most resilient community managers are often the lone wolf solo person. But then we see that community managers, community leaders have the most fun when they're in teams. One of our customers was talking about like a we were very jealous. They were telling us about their off-team offsite and they were going to spend a whole day just strategizing about how to better build their community. And for me, that's like kind of the dream as far as to your point about the kudos and the O's. It's like the team aspect, there's a gamification aspect. And I think there's something there to it as far as when we build platforms to be able to platforms and I would say processes 
to facilitate that, I think there's something, we're onto something there. And we as in the collective we. Absolutely. While open source software today is powering critical infrastructure, the open source ecosystem as a whole is rapidly changing, facing challenges for governance, maintenance, maintainer burnout, funding, marketing, and more. Are you concerned about these things for your open source software too? Well, in the sustained community, we discuss these challenges and share solutions for how to sustain open source in the long haul. We meet once per year in person, and the rest of the time we keep the fire burning in our discourse forum. Join our conversations at sustainoss.org and sustainoss on Twitter. Kind of speaking of that, there's this underlying question that I think that before we start to get into the nitty gritty of sentiment and AI, before we get into flexibility and customization, (laughs) all the platform nitty and gritty stuff that everyone wants to hear, there's this underlying notion as well of a different philosophy for approaching your community tool and your community system. Does Common Room have words that they've put to that different philosophy of measurement? Oh man, it's funny because when we talk about measurement, I almost feel like almost when I kind of take a step before measurement where it's like in our minds at the heart of it, it's about scaling and uplifting the community manager and DevRel personas. And so we see them on a day-to-day basis doing so much incredible work. And Common Room, at the end of the day, we are just one of many tools for them. And so for us, it's important for us to figure out what their overarching goals are before we even kind of put the metrics for them, et cetera. And so I guess going back to the vocabulary that I would like to use, I think it's all about uplifting, supporting and scaling the community manager. And so I guess at Common Room, we talked about uplifting and supporting the community leader. We also believe in this idea of being very, very customer centric. That's actually one of our company values at Common Room. So we have folks all the way up to our CEO, all the way to say individual engineers or designers engaging one-on-one with customers. And so we do really try to collaborate closely with our community and with our customers in terms of developing the product. I think one thing that we're very fortunate in is the fact that a lot of our users themselves are, you know, they're product people. That might not be their official title, but You know, if you're a developer, if you work in community for a product, you're going to know a good amount about product development. And so they themselves have a ton of empathy. And so we believe that product development at Common Room is the ultimate team sport in conjunction with our overall community as a team. And so we like to keep an ear to the ground, whether it's in our uncommon community or through other channels. And we love engaging in one-on-one conversations with community members so that we keep their use cases in mind anytime we make any product decisions. So I want to start going more into nitty gritty things of what you've talked about and how things are implemented. And I'll start with something that is a precursor and requirement for a lot of things that you're doing. You mentioned earlier that people use different usernames, they have different profiles on different platforms, but you want to have a holistic picture of what are these community members doing across the entire community. This is something in the chaos project we've been talking about for since the start of the project. It's a core element to really understanding the community is to understand each individual member and in all the platforms. So what process do you have for identifying which of these different usernames on different platforms actually belong to the same person? 
Yeah, absolutely. So there are a ton of different inputs. And so maybe starting with inputs, we look at username as one input. But then, of course, what's great is we have all these enrichment providers we also partner with to get more context about individuals. We look at avatars. We compare, for example, if Georg has a different Slack versus Twitter handle, but then your profile picture is very similar. We take that into account. So lots of ways. And then we also then take a use a combination of, I would say, rules-based as well as AI-based automation, where there are certain rules that we're pretty confident about. So if X and Y don't quite match up, then perhaps we don't auto-merge something. And then there's the AI piece where we allow the AI to dictate, like perhaps some of the things that we're more confident about, but are a little bit more nitty gritty. And then finally, there's the human input piece. So we know that AI will never be perfect and will never be as powerful as like human insight. But so what we do is we also support what we call proposed merges in the platform. So think of it as essentially left, right, left, right, being able to control who you merge and who you do not merge. And that ultimately feeds back then into the AI to give it a signal of who should be deemed a correct merge, quote unquote, or not. And so that's kind of the nitty gritty of how this unified profile within common room is built up. Does that make sense? And slash any follow up questions, Georg? No, this is really good. I love the idea. I thought about this before to use profile pictures for merging identities that had not occurred to me before. So interesting. I also think it's interesting because we just came out of five full point years of retarget marketing, manually placing cookies and browser IDs, setups, and trying to guess the session control for each domain and browser. Like it's been five years of retarget marketing doing that. And now when it comes into community, we're looking at it, we're just going like, don't people just be themselves on the internet? Can't we just make that the commonality thing? So I do think it's interesting that you're doing that. One primary concern that I tend to get in sentiment, and this is something I'd like to ask you, how you tackle is a lot of community managers get so stuck in the weeds and their days are like so heavy and so difficult and they have to process so much data. So on one hand, there's this pull of like, let's automate the aggregation of social listening to give them more time for social listening. But just the act of having them step away from an act of social listening can often create some problems. How do you navigate that difference between I need to be there and I need to be present in my community and I need to engage in the social contract of listening to people versus this is a thing that I could automate. I could build a workflow for this. How do you navigate that? Oh my gosh, it's always a balance. And I do see our customers being on different parts of the spectrum for this. And so a couple things. So first and foremost, with Common Room's Workflows product, which allows community managers to automatically facilitate reach outs to members that are tailored for XYZ reason, that helps in terms of, I think there's a difference between, say, Benia reaching out as a community leader compared to, say, a bot reaching out. And even if it is automated via the platform, it's still, what we found is it's still helpful coming from an, a real person, if you will. And then there's the other side of how we think about almost this overarching way of listening. So especially for these huge communities where if you just have a few community leaders trying on a day-to-day basis to respond to everything, it just doesn't scale. And so when it comes to the second piece, we have what we call topics as well as categories in our platform. So 
topics captures essentially the what. What is everyone talking about so that we can surface to the community leader what matters most to your community members as well as what is the sentiment associated with everything. So when something matters, it can either be really positive or really negative. And we surface a lot of that context in an automated way. And then we also have this overarching kind of intent detection. And so that's what we call categories within the platform. So let's say when people are reaching out and talking about X product or talking about a recent release. It's not just whether it's with positive or negative sentiment overall. It's what is the intent of someone talking about it? Are they asking a question? Are they expressing product appreciation? If they're asking a question, does it always have to be the community manager who responds to the question? Can we auto route it, say, to the support team and put this on their radar so that no matter what would have made it support team, but now it's in an automated way so that the community manager doesn't have to be that middle person. And so that's the second piece that I was thinking about. I'm going to say thank you for that explanation. And I'm going to once again, turn left. I have to ask again, as a data aggregation tool, it's collecting a lot of PII and identifiable information. Every platform has its own data handling, privacy policies and regulations. And that can be a very complex thing to navigate for any company or organization or project that might be aggregating this about their community. And clearly this is too complex to get into all the details of, but again, as a vendor where you have a little bit more of a third party perspective of helping your customers navigate this, can you share a little bit about what you've learned through that? And if there's any key takeaways or advice you would have for any community managers that want to do this on their own, potentially without the support of a company or a vendor and how they might even think about approaching this? Yeah, I'm really glad that you asked this question, Sophia. It's not an easy problem. And I think when it comes to, especially in this day and age, when people are so sensitive and rightly so when it comes to things like PII, we want to be mindful as a platform. And so for the platforms that we do integrate with, we always use officially supported APIs in terms of service. And we use either OAuth tokens or API keys and essentially make all the permissions that we need, as well as why we need those permissions cleared to the customers consuming that information so that we recognize that it is in many ways, it's always like their customers, their community members are giving them the gift of their information and their engagement. Our customers are then in turn giving us the gift of being a customer as well as their engagement. And so we really do want to err on the side of caution when it comes to following all the rules. We've heard in the past, of course, companies scraping, et cetera. We are not trying to do that. And our advice to anyone trying to build a platform is definitely not to do that. I would be remiss if I didn't say that our data is also encrypted at rest as well as in transit. We also partition logically per customer. We're SOC 2 type 2 compliant and also honor the right to be forgotten requests that a lot of our customers have taken advantage of. But all this is to say that at Common Room, we service companies. We've been really fortunate to service companies at the full end of the spectrum. So early stage startups as well as Fortune 500 companies. And so hence, like we do want to index on the side of being extra cautious here in terms of supporting a lot of that. One thing, oh my gosh, this is going to feel really tacky, but I'm just going to say it, is as far as giving open source projects and communities advice here, we're able to take advantage of a lot of great communities online in terms of building out our strategy, our tech when it comes to security and privacy. And so when in doubt, definitely take advantage of some of those online communities there. Absolutely. I know that the open source community specifically have been focusing a lot on what this infrastructure is going to look like for data privacy and whatnot. We have a few episodes about that in the open source community, I believe, right, Georg? 
we've talked about it many times. Yeah. Agreed. So dear listener, if you are interested, we're going to talk a few of those relevant episodes in the show notes. But this has been an incredible conversation, just so full of the meat of it. And I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface of Common Room's philosophy and approach to metrics and how the system works. So I'd be really, really excited to see what all of our other listeners think of the platform and give it a go. Try it out. Well, thank you so much. I agree. We should definitely do maybe second episode. So listeners, pay attention to upcoming episodes. And Hidan, if people want to follow you online and follow your work, where can they find you? Yeah. So, well, first of all, I have to encourage everyone to join Common Room's Uncommon community. Lots of great learnings there. And I'm an active participant and love engaging with a lot of our customers and community members and users there. And then, of course, on Twitter, feel free to follow me at Hadankers, H-E-D-A-N-K-E-R-S on Twitter. And so thanks for that. Awesome. Thank you. We'll put all that in the show notes. And this is the last segment of our episode where we talk about value adds, things that have added joy or value to our life recently. I can start us off. You know, I'm from Germany originally, and so I've not experienced the American high school system. And our son just became a freshman and joined high school and joined the football team here. And I have been really amazed with the after-school programs and additional activities that the schools are offering, not just football, but, you know, cheerleading and band and a lot of different things that really provide a lot of opportunities for these students and build a community. And on Friday was the first game here at the school, varsity football game, and the stadium was jam-packed with students, with parents from both schools that were competing and there was chanting going on and a little rivalry going and it was so amazing. I've never experienced anything like that during my high school years in Germany. So I'm just amazed at how this is done. Maybe, I don't know if this is in the entire US or this is specific here, but I'm quite happy with how things are going here. Yeah. And honestly, I'll answer your question with my own little wonderful value add because mine is so similar. This past weekend, I'm a big motorcycler. And here in the United States, there's a adventure group called the Overland. I actually already have my tag still attached to my wrist. I've just haven't gotten rid of it because the event was so good. I don't want to cut the band off my wrist from it. And I showed up and it was just four hours of incredible adventure riders sharing stories having this sense of camaraderie and this closeness, total strangers. I felt comfortable hugging for more than three seconds. I think that's a thing in America. And I can absolutely share that same sentiment where the rabble rousing and the rock housing felt more benefit of belonging among strangers than most other environments I've been in the United States. So I don't think it's necessarily a United States focused thing, but I'm really a fan of how close people are getting at these public events recently. That's my value add. And I can definitely agree with Georg on that. Plus one on just the public events and the camaraderie, whether it's football or a cheerleading competition. Personally, I spent a lot of my childhood in Norman, Oklahoma. And so for folks who haven't been to Oklahoma, football is a huge part of life there. And I haven't lived in Oklahoma for many, many, many years, but I grew up attending the games and I'm a diehard Oklahoma Sooners fan. And they start their first game next Saturday. And it is one of my most exciting upcoming value adds. So plus one, 
to the sense of community. I am totally like a Redditor and I will go on to the college football as well as Oklahoma Sooners Reddit and try to engage with other people. So similar to Georg, a football fan and in this case, like virtual as well as in person. (laughs) (laughs) I must admit, I'm not necessarily a football fan. I actually bought football for dummies so that I can follow along now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're becoming more and more American. My quote unquote official value add is <laughs> Beat Saber is as an exercise tool. So I've dealt with some knee injuries in the past several years after a skiing accident, and I used to be an avid runner. And so this year, unfortunately, my knee issues flared up again. And so it was at the point where if I walked more than a mile, my knee would just anyway would not be so awesome. And so my husband decided to buy me an Oculus Quest and I took on B-Saber as an exercise function. And that was a great low impact and high cardio way to get my exercise. So that's my plug for folks who might be experiencing a leg injury and aren't able to do a high impact sport, Beat Saber. And Beat Saber is a lot of fun, like a lot of fun. I'll jump in and do my value add. As an aging person, I've recently developed more of a sun allergy, but I love being outside in the summer and having the right sun protection is very important. And for my birthday, my sister recently gave me this, which I will describe visually because you cannot see the screen is a about a seven inch diameter circular object that when you remove the contents of it, becomes the hatch. So it is a packable sun hat that I can take with me that doesn't get squashed. Wow. Right? I want one. It's not the most stylish thing, but it's effective and it packs up into a tiny little circle. That is mind blowing. (laughs) I have a straw hat for when I'm out in the backyard, but it's not for going out. Doesn't travel as well as yours. You never want to squash your sun hat. I'm very protective of the straw ones because once you bend it, it could never be the same again. Yeah. And it's all the technology of a pop-up hamper applied to making sure the sun doesn't ever hit you. I love it. Wow. I was expecting a smaller hat, but the size of it really blew my mind. (laughs) Do we have to put a picture of it in the show notes now? (laughs) All right. Well, dear listener, a good reason to go take a look at the show notes and also a good reason to stay tuned and subscribe to Chaos Cast wherever you like to listen. Looks like we may be doing a part two. So be sure to subscribe and look out for that. And while you're there, go take a look at the sun hat. Otherwise, I do want to say thank you all so much for joining us today for the Chaos Cast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, this has been your Chaos Community. 